0: Father, thank you for this morning for another opportunity to look into your word, which is sufficient and perfect, and everything we need to live godly in Christ Jesus. And so as we study your word this morning, we ask your Holy Spirit would be opening our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word, that we might not only hear it and believe it, but obey it. And we'll thank you for what you're going to do with your word this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you think the word of God is under attack? This is a departure from what I'm going to. just This is kind of all for free ahead of time. I'm seeing so much misunderstanding and misapplication. Now, we all live in our own little bubble of time, and maybe it's no worse than it has been in the past. But it's worse than it has been in my past. And uh, it's going to be incumbent upon us as believers who have the truth to be more discerning, kinder, and yet more bold in the days to come. Because I believe, I believe the word is under attack in an unprecedented way, both from those who don't believe it, and unfortunately, in some cases, by those who do believe it, and who like to pick and choose those things that are most important to them. And it will be incumbent upon us as we study the word to be humbled by the fact that God has chosen us for salvation and to maintain that humility as we battle for the truth, and it is a battle, but to do it in a way that bespeaks love and care and concern, and yet steely determination, that this is the finished, sufficient word of God, and it is all we need for life in Christ. And that all the other things, most of them are fluff and dangerous. So, with that as a start and as an introduction, we're going to read the word this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, we're going to read through about verse 28. This is a long chapter, delightfully. Actually, we'll just read through, yeah, we'll read through 28. I don't know how far we'll make it this morning, but we'll anticipate. For 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the fact of Christ's resurrection. Now, I make known to you, Paul said, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remained until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, So we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. And your faith, your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep for since by a man came death by a man also came resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die so also in Christ all shall be made alive but each in his own order Christ the first fruits after those after that those who are Christ at his coming then comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. And when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the Son who subjected all things to him, that God may be all in all. Well, when we left off last time, we finished up with verse... um, Where were we? Verse uh, 8. We're going to do a little recap, a little reminder. Um, Last time I taught, by the way, I used a quote from someone named Timothy Keller. I didn't research his name as well as I probably should have, it seems, and there are some problems with his theology. He apparently tries to reconcile Genesis with evolution, among other things, but it has been said that even a blind hog finds an acorn now and then. Now, I'm not equating Dr. Keller with a blind hog, but I am saying that I do not support his other false teaching. The quote was accurate, but I will be more careful in the future with who I quote. Um, It's interesting how Scripture does that, Chris Scripture is very careful about how it quotes. The purpose of the remaining, for, for purposes of reminding, here is the quote, which was accurate. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And again, that's a true quote, but I will be more careful in the future. So as we looked at 1 Corinthians, we started chapter six fifteen, 15, and we we looked at the, the, the argument Paul is building. And what he's doing is he's going to be dealing, or he is dealing with a another contrived foolishness that the Corinthians had. They were they were going to, in verse 12, we'll see that the problem is that they were saying that there's no resurrection from the dead. Now, it's not necessarily true that they were saying that Christ didn't resurrect from the dead, but they were saying there was no resurrection. That would imply they were believing the people did not rise, did not rise from the dead. And so Paul begins in, first 20, in 15, chapter 15, verse one, he, he defends his presentation of the gospel earlier. And remember, the Corinthians had had a benefit of Paul and other apostles, Apollos, many teachers, who all would have taught the same thing. And, and he claims, he reminds the Corinthians, you were saved by this gospel unless you believed in vain. And then he reminds them that it was of first importance that he delivered to them what the scriptures said, which was that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and then he was buried, and on the third day, he raised again. And then he appeared, and then Paul goes through a litany of the appearances of the post-resurrection Lord Jesus Christ and how it is likely the most attested to historical happening in in antiquity. Um, There were people alive at the time Paul was preaching who could have quickly come and said, Paul, what are you talking about? We never saw him. But rather than that, there were multiple witnesses over a period of time that saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. He appeared to 500 at one time. He appeared to James, he appeared to Paul. Paul says as one at last of all he appeared to me as of one untimely born. And then Paul in his inimitable way he begins to proceed to approve a series of other things that uh, Christ, he, he proves through those things that Christ rose from the dead. He appeared first to Peter, then to the 12th, then to the 500, then to a separate appearance to James, then to all the apostles, and then to Paul. So there was never any doubt in Paul's mind and in the hearing, in those who heard Paul preach, that he preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Any questions, he would say. <laughs> Are there any questions about the fact that, Ron, Ron, you want to ask Paul or me? <laughs> that's what the, the scriptures say that tombs were opened and then some rise rose from the dead. What did they do what did they do? Yeah. They they must not have they must not have paid attention to that. They must not have paid attention to Lazarus. Many of these would have been there when he called Lazarus forth from the grave. No, it's it, when we decide to believe something untrue, we will elicit the help of hell itself to confirm it. Because we would rather be right than be true right possibly it's it's hard to say if any of the 500 might have been members of some of the churches around the area but they would have certainly been taught by no less than cephas and apollos and paul and whoever else and and apparently it says you believe he he says you believed you believed what happened corinthians and we looked through this entire book so brian has made a good point it was the church at Jerusalem that would have been physically where the resurrection occurred. And in those days, travel was much more difficult. Corinth was quite a ways from Jerusalem. But nevertheless, the it was pretty big news. It was pretty pretty astounding news. And uh, I did look at some extra biblical accounts. I thought it wasn't necessary to introduce them. But, but Flavius, Josephus, um, Tacitus, Pliny, numerous, and then uh, the early church fathers, lots of of attestations of people who knew those who had seen the resurrection. It would be like, um, my mother-in-law just passed away, but I knew her for 42 years. You'd probably believe me if I told you that she lived. And then if my wife and the 70 people in her immediate family said, well, yeah, she lived. We got pictures. We got this. We got that. We got memories. And even people in, who, who, relatives of hers that live in uh, Kelso, hundreds of miles away. Now, granted, travel's a lot easier today, but the, the fact that she lived is indisputed. Same with Christ. Um, actually, even the, only the most oblique objectors in history would say that he never existed. Even those who don't believe the gospel will acknowledge that he existed. They just think he was a pretty good teacher. Well, he wasn't, and we'll talk about that. If he, if he claimed the things he claimed, And he wasn't who he said he was. He wasn't a good teacher. He was the devil from hell. But he wasn't the devil from hell. He was the son of God. And everything he said was true. There never, as I pointed out last time, was a historical event established on sure evidence than that of the resurrection of Christ. So this fact would have been included in all the preaching of all the apostles and in the faith of all Christians, (laughs) no matter who came into Corinth. And so then Paul has gone through the litany. Now, we finished up with verse 8, where he says, and last of all, as to one untimely born, or as to an abortion, actually is what the word is, he appeared to me also. And then he says, for I am the least of the apostles, if I am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, I thought through this long and hard about why Paul, some of the things that would have motivated Paul to be so prolific, so, worked so hard, worked to the point of exhaustion, Ex- endured the things he endured. Well, first of all, the most important thing was is that he saw the risen Christ. He saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, and not too far behind that, he tried to stamp the church out. He killed Christians. He said, stone that guy, Stephen, bring it on. Here, I'll hold your clothes. I'm not going to throw any rocks because I'm a Pharisee, but you all kill him. I agree, it's a good thing he's an idiot he killed he persecuted the church of god paul's sense of awe and gratitude for his salvation and his subsequent appointment an, as an apostle of the lord was never forgotten never minimized in his life and and i suggest it to us that should be something we think about all as well why were we chosen because we're cool because we're a part of the elite no there's no reason we were chosen all of us as paul did deserved eternal damnation. The Father, in his sovereign choice, because of his love, made that choice of each one in here who is a child of God. Um, He often had to defend his apostleship to people who called it into question, but at the root of his understanding was the idea that all of this, everything that happened to him, was at the hand of a sovereign God, done by grace, and certainly he did not deserve it. In fact. As I pointed out, he was a persecutor of the church before his salvation. Acts chapter seven, he's in verses fifty seven through Acts chapter eight, verse one. Here's what it says. But they cried out with a loud voice, speaking of Stephen, and covered their ears, he was preaching the gospel to him, he was telling them the truth, he was retailing the history of Israel and the Messiah. And they covered their ears, they didn't want to hear it. They rushed at him, you know, no, nah, na, nah, nah, we can't hear you. Except that it was much more dangerous than what happens in a modern classroom. They killed the man. They rushed at him with one, impulse, with one impulse, and when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen, and as he called out to the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Saul was in hearty agreement, hearty agreement, complicit, liked it, Thought it was great. This is the way to do things. He was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, Samaria, except the apostles. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now, Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Did you get that? Threats and murder. Paul was murdering Christians. What would you do if he all of a sudden had a, an enlightenment and he came to your church and the week before he had just murdered seven of your friends? <laughs> Paul was still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters from, from him for the synagogues to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So the best timelines indicate that about six months elapsed between the time Stephen was stoned and Paul was converted. With the time necessary for letters of extradition to be written and received, Paul had persecuted the church for likely several years. Who knows how many people died because of his persecution, and I believe this would always weigh on him. Even though he knew the grace of God, he knew the forgiveness of God, he knew he was chosen for a mission, and he knew he was, he was a child of God. It would still weigh on him, even though he knew he was forgiven. And I believe that's what some of the verses that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write come out of that, that angst and that, that past that he had. And so verse 10 says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. It was, but it was grace that saved Paul. It was grace that motivated him. It was grace that sustained him. It was grace that taught him. And it was grace, as the song says, that would lead him home. His memory of persecution of the church would be a powerful inducement to work hard towards spreading the gospel as widely as possible now that he knew the truth. Thus, his faith, he lived harder than many because of God's grace. And the fact is, Paul's contribution to the New Testament is by far the largest and most comprehensive of all the apostles. For those of you who can't hear, I'm struggling with technology right now. (laughs) We'll try this again. So that's the word he uses. He uses the word labor. The work of Paul's work of spreading the gospel was a work of intense labor that caused him to often be exhausted. So he describes that labor as exhausting, consuming work, but nevertheless, it was also a labor of love. This is the kind of work when you know you've got to get the wood in and the snow's coming and you're splitting it, and you're getting it stacked in order to, say, to protect and, and, and heat the house for your family. That kind of thing. He says, I grew weary. I labored with wearisome effort. I grew weary. I toiled. I worked hard to spread the gospel. I am working hard, is what he would have been saying then. Had the sovereign grace of God not intervened in my life, Paul says, I would have remained a blasphemer, a persecutor, a destroyer, a murderer, and an unbeliever. This is our story as well. Maybe not to that extent. Maybe none of us murdered anybody. But anybody ever hate anyone? Remember in Matthew chapter 7, I believe it was, Jesus said, if you harbor hate in your heart, you have done murder. It is as bad as murder. So Paul worked hard. He worked hard and he labored to spread the gospel. And Corinth was one of the beneficiaries of that labor. Any comments or questions about 9 and 10? Verse 11, he said, whether then it was I or they, speaking of the others that spread the gospel, so we preach, and so, Corinthians, you believed. Every word that Paul preached, every word that Peter preached, every word that James preached, every word that Bartholomew preached, every word that Andrew preached, every word, I could go down the list of the apostles, (laughs) it was the same gospel, the same exact gospel. All the apostles preach Christ resurrected as the central message of Christianity. Again, without the resurrection, everything else is worthless and we are still in our sin. This This preaching of the resurrection of Christ was what the Corinthians had believed. The resurrection of Christ. That's what they believed. The resurrection was an objective truth, verifiable and genuine. And so Paul has set the stage for the main complaint of this chapter, which is in our next verse, verse 12. So now Paul says, okay, in light of all of that, now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Okay, we need to remember this as our theorem, as our postulate throughout this next session, next section. How do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead if Christ is preached that he is raised from the dead? Christ was preached that he was raised from the dead. Some of you say there's no resurrection. Disconnect. It is the resurrection of Christ that demonstrates that indeed resurrection can happen. And his resurrection is always preached in concert with the resurrection of believers. One cannot happen without the other in either direction, scripturally. They are tied together. There are many different views about what happens to the body and the spirit after death. Uh, The Greeks believed in dualism and rejected resurrection. The last thing they wanted was was, was to take back to the gods Their evil material body that did all these wrong things. Their spirits were so perfect, of course. Some believe in what is called absorption. Um, And I, I see this taught today. They believe that the spirit or whatever it is that they call the spirit returns back to its source and is absorbed into the ultimate divine mind or being. Others believe in soul sleep. That upon death, the body sleeps until future resurrection, often in connection with the doctrine of soul sleep is the belief that unbelievers, unbelievers, are annihilated that is, they cease to exist. This would di- deny the doctrine of hell as well it 's interesting to note that whenever there are false doctrines, there are not single false doctrines; they are all tied up in groups they 're all tied up in in uh, packages of false doctrine and i 've noticed. Uh, that several places who teach annihilation uh, teach soul sleep also teach annihilation (laughs) now the facts are that at our death our spirit goes immediately to be with Christ 2nd Corinthians 5 8 we are of good courage I say and rather and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be asleep in the ground no and to beware at home with the Lord. Now, granted, I sleep in my home sometimes, but isn't that a stretch for crying out in the sink? F- Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 23. According to my earnest expect- blah, expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, that but that with all boldness, Christ will, even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ. And to die is a long nap. No, to, to die is gain. To die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and what? Be with Christ. Which is for... To be with Christ, for that is very much better. That is very much better. That is far better. Not to go to sleep into the ground. What they would... What often these modern and past ancient um, teachers confuse is the Posture of the body as it, as the soul, the spirit leaves it to be with Christ. The body assumes what appears to be a, a position of sleep, and so the ancients would call that he has gone to sleep, she has gone to sleep, her body has gone to sleep. Matthew chapter thirteen verses forty and forty through forty-two. So just as the tares, oh excuse me, I missed one. Luke twenty-three forty-three, and he said to him, this is the thief on the cross who confessed Christ. Truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Now, there are people who say, well, put the comma after today. Truly I say you shall be with me today. You shall be in paragraph. Doesn't tell us it was today. Well, does Christ go into the grave and sleep for eternity? Until Christ, until the Lord? No, of course not. Christ was resurrected three days after the uh, his, his crucifixion. Same with the thief. So where, wherever you put the, com- the comma, he will be with Christ. Matthew chapter 13, 40 through 42. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and they will throw them into the furnace of fire into that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I actually am reading some of the scriptures that go with the next verses. Were you confused? Good, because I was too. Finishing with verse 23 of of, uh, Luke. He said to him, Truly today you shall be with me in paradise. We'll get to Matthew chapter 13 in just a moment. There is no sleeping. There is no absorption. We go to be with Christ and to await resurrection of our physical body to be joined with our spirit. Further, unbelievers are not annihilated, but rather horribly They spend eternity in hell. And this is what animates Christian missions. This is what animates, one of the things that animates us preaching the gospel to the unbelieving world. Do we want anyone to spend time there? No, we do not. And so we call the world to Christ. Matthew chapter 13, I just read it. At the end of the age, those who do not believe will be cast into the furnace of fire and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then verse uh 25 Matthew 25:41 then he will also say to those on his left depart from me accursed ones into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels all of this the corinthians had been taught by paul and any other apostle or teacher who had come to the city with all of this paul asks now how can you say there is no resurrection of the dead in verse 12 he says that any questions or comments about 12 before we hit 13 and on and we're going to look at okay So he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Did you think of that, Corinthians? Did that catch your attention? Paul proceeds to make seven points that proceed from the idea that there is no resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, number one, even Christ has not been raised. Number two, if there is no resurrection of the dead, any preaching of the gospel would be futile and meaningless. Number three, if there is no resurrection from the dead, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ would be meaningless. Number four, if there is no resurrection from the dead, anyone preaching it would be a liar. Not just misled, but a liar. Number five, if if there is no resurrection from the dead, everyone would still be in their sins, unforgiven. Number six, If there is no resurrection from the dead, those who went before, those whom the apostles had preached were even now present with Christ, free from all their earthly constraints, free from the disease that maybe killed them, were still would have eternally perished. They would have eternally perished. Number seven, if there is no resurrection from the dead, Christians would be the silliest and therefore the most to be pitied people on earth because we're preaching a false gospel. First and foremost, as Paul says in this first verse, if there is no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. Any claims that he was not really a man or that he was, or that he, being God could be raised would be futile. Any claims that he didn't really die would be further lies. The fact is, he was a man as attested to by the preaching of the gospel. He was killed. He was laid in the tomb and subsequently raised from the dead. All of this was attested to by the gospel preached by Paul, And all the other apostles, Jesus often calling himself the Son of Man, attested to the fact that he was a man born of a woman. He also said to his disciples that he was sent here to die, and that on the third day he would resurrect the temple of his body. These are the things that were taught, you were taught, Corinthians. Don't you remember them? Don't you remember what was taught to you before? What was preached to you before? And you believed it? He was a man. He was God. He lived. He died, he was buried, he was raised again. Remember that? And verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Secondly, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, all the words that Paul and all the other apostles had said to the Corinthians, words that were supposed to be doctrinally correct, true, and a record of what Jesus Christ had done, those words were false and meaningless. All the labor Paul had put into this all the time, all the blood, sweat, and tears, and all that he and the other apostles had spent were foolish expenditures. Why would they persist in a gospel that would eventually cost them their lives when it was false? Had not Christ been raised, everything he and the other apostles said, had said, were empty words. Third, if there was no resurrection, then the faith that the Corinthians and every other believer had placed in the Lord Jesus Christ was meaningless and empty. Sin, death, and hell were conquered, and nothing could change that. This truly would have been been a New Testament vanity of vanities. We're going to get through all of these, the seven, and then we'll talk about them. Seven. Verse 15, Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. (coughs) because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Here Paul puts to rest any notion that, the G- that Jesus and the apostles could possibly have been innocently mistaken. In fact, this would have been had to have been the greatest conspiracy in the history of the universe for all of these men and hundreds and hundreds of others to die for a faith that was a lie. They not only would have been charlatans and liars, but sinister, wicked, malevolent, and evil. Every single one of them, including the Lord Jesus Christ, if the resurrection was not true. They would have been purveyors of a false gospel about God, a gospel that God himself never attested to. They would have been making God a liar. It would be a message that for 2,000 years has kept billions of people involved in a lie of the greatest magnitude. Christianity is not feel-good advice about how to live a better life. It is an historical account about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the God-Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who then delivers to his Father the believers that he was sent to save. If Christ claimed to be God, Christ claimed to be God in the flesh and to be the propitiation for the sins of all men whom the Father would give to him. If he did not rise from the dead, he was a liar of the first magnitude, and nothing he said should believe, be believed. We should close this book and go home. We should close this book and go home. Neither should his followers be believed because they are at best duped and at worst scheming connivers, propagating untruths and lies. Paul says, even we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. It's... He's pounding these things home. For the, Imagine being in that church having this letter read, and some of the people in that congregation have been propagating the truth that the dead are not raised. This is pretty bold, pretty strong, pretty pretty stout medicine. Then he says in verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Further confirmation and a restatement of what Paul has just said. The Lord Jesus Christ was fully man, and if dead men are not raised, then Christ is not raised, for Christ was dead and could not have been raised if there is no resurrection of the dead. So four and five are covered. Verse 17. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is worthless, empty, pointless, and you are still in your sins. All that you believe, Corinthians, was a lie. The hope that Christ and the apostles gave that the death of Christ paid for the sins of the elect and that his resurrection paved the way for the resurrection of all who believe in him would have been false. And Faith in that teaching would be worthless. Sins would not have been forgiven. God's anger would not have been pacified. And everyone would die in their sins and spend an eternity away from God. Then those who, he says in verse 18, who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have fallen asleep have perished. If Christ be not raised, number six, the comforting doctrine that had been preached about the dead in Christ would be false. All those who already, had already gone before whom believers had sent off with tears of both sorrow and joy would be eternally damned and the joy would be extinguished because there would be, because there would be no res- reunion. What I preached at the, at the funeral recently, that those who know Christ would see Eva again. They will see her again. I would be lying. Now, I've had my problems with lying, but this word is not a lie. This word is not a lie. And then he says, number seven, if we had hoped in Christ in this life only, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, verse 19, we are of all men most to be pitied. Even with the advantage that come from a life following, that come from one following a life prescribed in the Bible, still, if in this life we only had hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied. We are to be pitied. We are to be, I'll just, that's the good word, that's a good word, pity. In some ways, it appears that Paul was trying to make the Corinthians feel a bit foolish. He has hammered home seven points that would result if dead men do not rise, as some were saying in Corinth. He culminates his teaching with this pointed and stark declaration that if the resurrection has not happened, then everyone living according to the teachings of the one who taught the resurrection are pitiable creatures, most to be pitied. So how would that make the Corinthians feel? Hopefully, not only foolish, but repentant. Now these are believers. Do we know any believers, maybe even us, who have fought wrong things, taught wrong things, believed wrong things? Paul is doing this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to reconfigure them, if you will, to bring them around back to the truth, back to what they had originally believed, which was that Christ was lived, died, buried, resurrected, propitiation for the sins of men, for the sins of believers. Any questions about those seven points? Do you see how this would have hopefully hammered it home to the Corinthians as they were listening to this teaching that what they were were believing about no resurrection was dangerous? And and brothers and sisters, we need to realize that. When, When people believe the wrong thing about the scriptures, more often than not, it's not just silly, it's dangerous It's dangerous to them. It's dangerous to anybody that they propagate it to. It's harmful. Truth is truth because it's truth, not because it has nothing else to do. All of this is for our edification, for our sanctification, for our eventual glorification. But the point is, Paul is making, if we taught this to you and it isn't true, then why are you even in this body? Why are you even here today? So they were there, they, they were listening, they were believing. And we see in 2 Corinthians that much of this had turned around. Um, so in verse 20 he says, But now, after all that, what if, what if, what if, seven what ifs, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. And it's 15 after, so we're not going to get to this first. But it's nice to end on a positive note, isn't it? <laughs> If all this other stuff that you're believing is true, then we're all idiots, but it's not true. Christ has been raised from the dead, and he is the firstfruits of those who are asleep. If you want to look up, if you want an introduction to what we're going to talk about next week, you could look up the Jewish concept of firstfruits and the the offerings that they would give as the firstfruits of their their crops and their animals. Um, That's what Christ is going to be compared to. He's the firstfruits of those who are asleep. Are we grateful for the resurrection? I mean, that goes without saying, but it's a good thing to remember. And isn't that one of the things that we remember when we celebrate the Lord's Supper? That he was the bread, was the body, and the blood was a propitiation for the sins of men, for the sins of the believers, for the sins of those who have been given to him by the Father, and that is us. So, as we continue to believe in what's true and continue to propagate what's true, Again, let us do it in a spirit of humility, a spirit of love, a spirit of concern, but boldly, with steel in our spines, knowing that the day is coming when they will people will only endure their ears being tickled. They will not endure sound doctrine. They will not endure the truth. And unfortunately, some of these Corinthians were doing that. But Paul has made a spectacle of them, and then is going to bring them around and give them the truth about what exactly happened on that cross 2,000 years ago. Something that they'd already been taught. Something that they already knew. But it's, it, I'm always reminded of that verse in First Peter. I believe it's First Peter. Where he says, I'm not embarrassed to bring you back to the basics. Now that's a poor translation and I should have looked it up this morning. But basically what Peter was saying to the people that he was talking to is, it's a good thing to review the basics. And First Corinthians 15 is basics. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. That the truth is evident. That the truth is Um, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that all that is good is to be found in him. And as we contemplate these things this morning and recognize that but for the grace of God, there go we, that we had nothing to bring to you. All of our righteousnesses, so-called, were filthy rags, but you chose us in Christ. You chose the Corinthians. You chose Paul. And it is of all these things that have happened through history and today that you are forming and building for yourself a church that will glorify you and give honor to you and praise to you in all of eternity. Let us be doing that today. Thank you for your, your giving us. Thank you for taking us out of the world. Thank you for helping us to believe, causing us to believe the gospel so that we can be part of the born again. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church.